Welcome to the Retirement Plan Playbook. I'm Brent Pasqua, founder of RPA Wealth Management. I'm here with Matthew Thiel, certified financial planner, and also Joshua Winterswike, certified financial planner. I'm excited for today's topic. I don't know how you guys feel, but it's been a pretty draining election, and I'm glad we can finally wrap this thing up and move past it and talk about possibly, you know, now that we know some of the outcomes, what the impacts of the market may be. But the first thing I guess I want to know is, did you guys vote? And with the message that was going on leading up to it, how did you actually do your ballot? Did you go in person meet? Did you deliver it? How did you guys vote? Uh, yeah, Brent, I voted. Um, I, I had one of those mail-in ballots, came to my house, it was pretty straightforward. I circled in who I voted for. And then, because um, I live in West Hollywood, they had a bunch of ballot drop boxes. And so I just went to City Hall and dropped it in a, in a box. Nice. Yeah. I, I used the, the mail ballot too. Received it in the mail, filled it out, filled the bubbles in. But I actually went on election day to drop it off at the polls. So I found a, a local polling place, which was right down the street from my place and walked right in, put a mask on, dropped my ballot in the box. They had someone there monitoring uh, you know, the drop off. Um, and I got my I voted sticker, put it on and pretty simple process. But I also used the, the mail-in ballot. What about you, Brent? Yeah, I did the same as, as you, Josh. I, I voted through the mail-in ballot and then went and dropped it off at my actual registered polling station. I just wanted to make sure, hopefully, that it got counted that day. But I think that still counts as a mail-in ballot, though, even though you drop it off, right? I think so, too. I just felt more comfortable going and it felt like a little bit more official, like going to the polling place. There was no line or anything, but that's why I chose to do it that way. But I, I think you're right. It does still count as a mail-in ballot. Like, what was your deterrent from actually doing it voting in person? Was it like the line that you potentially would have to wait in? Or was it, you know, just the virus going on so you don't want to be in the location all for so long? A couple, a couple of different variables. I mean, just the time, right? I didn't know how the lines were going to be. I'm standing in line, you know, and then also with COVID going on. So I think it was just a combination of everything that the mail-in ballot was just easier um, this year. So who knows? I mean, I do, though, enjoy that official sense of going to the polling place and, and filling out my ballot um that day but uh with everything going on i think it was just more about convenience and you know safety yeah i felt the same way like usually i always go vote in person and stand there in the little cubicle and Mm -hmm. fill out my ballot but it just seemed so much more convenient this year to do it this way yeah absolutely i agree all right so let's get into some of the hot take headlines uh peloton reported great quarterly earnings sales tripled compared to this time last year uh, Peloton's sales actually grew to $757 million compared to $228 million during the same time last year. They now have 1.3 million subscribers. And, you know, as of recent, they're getting hit really hard with the positive news from the vaccine. Matt, you helped contribute to Peloton's growth. How are you enjoying it? Uh, you know, Brent, I think my Peloton is uh, sitting on a ship somewhere at the Port of Long Beach um, or hasn't even been manufactured yet because the day before my delivery, they canceled on me and pushed me out six weeks. So my new delivery date is now in December. A little disappointed there. Um, but as for the company Peloton, I mean, what a stock this has been. You know, you could have picked this thing up for $15 a share during the March uh, coronavirus sell-off. It's going for you know, 120 at last I checked. I should say, I think all three of us own shares of Peloton. Yeah. Um, so we should put that disclosure in there. Um, but this is the Netflix of fitness. So, yeah, and they're showing it in the numbers. Yeah. And I think it's pretty remarkable that they're estimated to have really over the holiday quarter, over a billion dollars in sales and close to $1.6 million of subscribers. 
I think that that's just kind of amazing for this company to to grow that quickly and excited to see their path going forward. I know that you know their CEO has said that they want to like be the global connected fitness leader. So I think that even after the pandemic, you know, having that vision and that goal will continue to propel this company. It'll be fun to watch. But I'm sorry, Matt, you didn't get your Peloton. I know how excited you were to get your Peloton and I hope it comes soon. I'm really bummed about it. I think one of the neat things about the company though is like if you buy the actual bike or the treadmill, you're still, you're going to be a subscriber. I mean, you're more than likely still going to pay your monthly subscription for as long as you have that. Unless you plan on not working out. I mean, you can work out without that subscription, but it's, it's almost like having a TV with no cable. Like, what good is it? Right. You're very limited. You're, you're buying a product, not activating all the features. Right. Yeah. So I think their, their numbers will continue to be just fine as we move forward, even if there is a vaccine. Yeah, I think so, too. And even with the vaccine, I mean, I'm not going to be rushing back to the gym. I don't know about you guys, but and on a frequent basis, not that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see how things play out. Uh, Bitcoin has risen to over 16000 its highest closing price since 2017. has gained nearly 50% in four weeks. Bitcoin was at an all-time high of 20000 in mid-December of 2017. And Google's barometer of general interest in trending topics has really shown increased search for, for Bitcoin. What's really leading to sort of this rise that we're seeing in Bitcoin all of a sudden? Probably a FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. Um, but in, in general, I mean, it's following that typical pattern. Something shoots way up, it kind of acts like a bubble. You know, that's going back to the 2016, 2017 rise. Then it crashes pretty hard and it slowly makes its way up until it breaks out to new highs. I mean, stocks do the exact same thing. Um, you know, Bitcoin is like, it's the digital gold. It's the the gold for millennials. So yeah, that's why it's going higher. You think uh, people, retirees, young people should go out and buy Bitcoin, Josh? Again, it's, it's buyer beware. It is speculative. And like Matt said, you know, are you going out and buying gold? Because it's very similar. And so um, should you be rushing out and going and buying it if you don't have a specific strategy around a, you know, a speculative investment like this? No. Um, and if you are interested, do your research. Yeah, and it's interesting that you say that about like how gold was our parents' generation of kind of like the, the similar thing that we're experiencing in cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin. What's interesting to me is, you know, you could see it even in the way that they're marketing it. For the gold, you see the old time commercials that always come on and some old man's up there telling about how you can trust gold. And then with Bitcoin, you just have all these social media people just constantly throwing these weird <laughs> cryptocurrency <laughs> ads out there that really make very little sense half the time. And it's like, you know, salespeople just trying to sell some, some, some Bitcoin. I thought the same thing as soon as you started to say that. I'm like, and you know, it's becoming, or the value must be going up because my Instagram feed and social media and just the internet is now filled with more ads for Bitcoin. Like it must be going up and becoming popular again. I, I should also say too, for full disclosure, I believe all three of us own Bitcoin. That's correct. We bought it, all of us, I believe in 2015 before that. I don't think I've logged into my Bitcoin account in a while though. Will you check that for me? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I haven't either, but you know, we were getting client questions about it. So we, we figured we better figure it out and learn. learn I think I bought mine in, in mid-December of 2017 when it was all time highs. And I know that, that the amount that I put in, which was a very small amount just for to see what it was like, it got completely obliterated the last two years. Yeah, they call that a top tick. Yeah, I, I, I timed the all-time highs of it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's get into the retirement planning corner. 
Finally, the election is over. Joe Biden was elected our next president. What happened from Tuesday on, and what sort of your thoughts, Matt? You know, it was a it was a messy situation, uh, right? I mean, everyone's kind of used to you know watching whatever your news channel is, CNN, Fox, uh, NBC, ABC on election night, and you know you usually get a pretty good idea by like nine or nine p.m., ten p.m. Pacific time of who the next president is going to be, but with this election, uh, we didn't have that idea. And it looked like Trump was about to run away with it. But, you know, there just hadn't been a lot of ballots cast yet. And so it took, what was it? We found out on Saturday that Biden's the new president. Yep. So it took four days to count the remaining ballots and for Biden to have a big enough lead that he was, you know, announced as the next president. Unprecedented. Yeah, I think what led to so much that night thinking that Trump was going to actually win was because of how strong the polls were saying that there was a strong probability that uh, Biden could win Florida and how that completely didn't swing that way. That made you start questioning like all the polls data leading up to the election. Yeah, it it was very polarizing to say the least this last week. I I think I've never been closely watching an election as much as I was, but you're right. I think Florida and just the big swings. I mean, early in the election, you know, you kind of saw Biden, then Trump come roaring in, and it was just kind of fascinating <laughs> it was. Uh, um, to watch. And then you knew that there was going to be this variable of mail-in ballots and this process that was going to be drawn out over a few days. You know, they were already kind of predicting that. So to just continue to follow it and seeing these swings um, was, was pretty, pretty fascinating. They should have done like a Sunday night special last night. And we should have had no data from Tuesday up until Sunday, and then they should have released it state by state. I, I got that idea from Portnoy, the Barstool guy. Yeah, I saw that. That is a good it, idea. It's a great idea. Like, how fascinating would that have been? You know, you crack a beer, you open a <laughs> bottle of wine, you just watch state by state go off. Like the NCAA basketball tournament. Like, yeah, you exactly. got in and you went one way or you go in this division. Yeah, that, I think that would have made it better for everybody because a lot of people got really emotional, you know, during the week as the votes were coming in. And, I agree. Yeah. I think that's what Saturday was, though, a byproduct of was really the pent up emotion for not just the months leading up to this, but the entire four days that it took to uncover. And then, you know, once that was finally done, I think that's why you saw so many people just go to the streets. They were just so tired of of waiting. And that emotion came out for so many. Yeah, that or I didn't really realize how hated President Trump was, but it seemed like a lot of people didn't like him. Yeah, yeah, and and the reaction, like you said, Brent, I think just a lot of built up and uncertainty and anxiety as well, and, and finally getting to to that answer of who's going to be president can you know definitely calm just a lot of nerves of knowing you know who's going to be our next leader, whether you're Biden or Trump or whoever. But and then on top of you know COVID still going on, so there was just so much anxiety and emotion around this election that you know you saw the emotion on social media and through the news all this week. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, as little as a political show that we we try to be, we, you know, obviously this has impacts on the stock market. And, you know, for this year, if we start to look at what happened with the stock market, we saw U.S. stocks drop in quarter one, 20.9%. And then we saw this rally up of 22% in quarter two. And then quarter three was kind of like an extension of quarter two, where it finished and it was going up 9.21%. But you saw a ton of volatility in quarter two. And the stock market really was such a big discussion point in this election. 
There were concerns leading up to this and a lot of talk about that the market was going to drop if Biden was elected. What has the stock market really done since the election? And with the, within those four days leading up to the, us finding out who won, but now till now, I mean, what has the market done? Well, can we just kind of take a victory lap here? I mean, we did what, two shows, put out a newsletter, put out a blog post about how the market was not going to crash. I mean, even if Trump was elected, it wasn't going to crash. And it, it didn't crash, a small little victory lap for us. And, and to put some numbers on it, Brent, the, the S&P 500's up over 10% since election day, so that's 10% in one week. Um, just an incredible move in the stock market. Yeah, and I don't want that to get lost in those four days where a lot of people are probably paying a little bit more close attention to what was going on in the race rather than in the market. I mean, it's been such a big rise going up to it. And why is it going up, though? And, you know... If some people thought it was, would crash, why is it still going up? That's a really, really good question. But like we talked about on the last podcast, there's uncertainty that's gone. I mean, we, we have some direction, both with the president and you know, a little bit more direction on the future. So removing some of that uncertainty, the market's like that. And they're reacting positive to that next step. And you know, with even a change in president is, is new opportunity. So, you know, and new you know, projected future growth for these companies that we invest in. So I think that's one of the main reasons why you're seeing such a good reaction to, to the election. With it being such a, an emotional election, I mean, you know, whether this went in your favor or not, and, and let's say you're one of the people that are really upset by what happened, should people really sell their stocks in their portfolio uh, if they are concerned about Biden now becoming president? Well, I mean, I think if there was concern about Biden as president, you'd be seeing, you know, stocks massively sell off, you know, especially, you know, now that he has been uh, chosen as the next president, and that's just not happening. Um, again, if you told me, hey, I'm concerned about COVID, I'd be like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I mean, Biden was under the Obama administration. He's, you know, been in politics since, what, the 60s or the 70s? That's like the joke on him. He's going to be a fine president. He's not... You know, he's not going to ruffle any feathers. And I think this is what's interesting, too. There were so many people leading up to the last couple of months and coming into the election that wanted or did sell a lot of their stock positions because they were concerned about if one person won or the other and they were going to miss, they're going to lose so much money and they would rather wait till December, January to get back in. Well, guess what? If you're one of those people, you just missed 10% of the market returns. Yeah, that's a great, great point. And even with some of the volatility before the election, to miss out on that 10% since the election is huge. Right. I mean, you know, that could really, really help you in, in this year that's been so volatile when we saw the market down 31%. And, you know, again, just not the great strategy because you have to be right twice. I know I always say this on every podcast that we talk about the market, but, you know, if you sold, you have to be right on buying back in. And we see another example where how hard it is to time this market. I think from March 12th till the day before the election, the market was down a majority of those days. So if you were one of those people, you're probably thinking you won. But within two days, on Tuesday and Wednesday, the market had already recovered that entire time period, and it's been just a skyrocket since. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What is your thoughts heading into next year? Uh, with Biden being president, will the stock market go up, or is that you know, not, is it, are we still with the same philosophy? I mean, our philosophy is always the same, right? Stay in, stay, stay long, and you know, be, be that long-term patient investor. 
Biden is set up to do really, really well. Um, let's talk about some things that are going to happen next year. Most likely, the coronavirus will either die out or there's going to be a vaccine. That's going to be great for the economy. Um, that'll send the stock market higher. There's also a bunch of people buying homes right now where the millennial generation is in their prime time home buying years. That's also great for the economy. I believe we talked about housing on one of the prior podcasts and how great it's doing this year. That's expected to continue to do well until, you know, 2023, 2024. Um, and we're in a low interest rate environment with no reason to raise rates. And the Fed has said that they're, they have no real rush to raise rates. So they'll continue to stay low. Cash will be easy. And I just asked myself the question, like going into next year too, even under a new administration is, is there still opportunity out there? There is, you know, so we're investing in these businesses. I, I see a lot of opportunity. You just talked about it coming out of the virus, right? That's a huge one. Um, and so I, I do believe that next year could provide some, some good growth for us. Yeah. I mean, I have to imagine that as things get back to normal, the hotels are just going to be slammed. Like, I, I just can't imagine that you're going to be able to find hotels and all the hospitalities Cruises. that we've missed out on. I just, I, I have to imagine like once there's a low level of, of, of infection and people feel comfortable again, you better book ahead, I would assume. Yeah, there's so much pent-up demand. I mean, everyone is, is in their mind thinking, like, when can I travel again? Or when can I, you know, take a trip? Imagine, too, if, I mean, it is kind of looking like, I know we're going to talk about it later in the show, that there's the potential where the Democrats can control everything. Imagine if they sent a, a stimulus out in January or February of next year, you know, $2,000 to every taxpaying American. And, you know, where are, they, where are the Americans going to put that? Restaurants cruising, hotel, everything we've missed out on, to your point. Yeah. I, I just feel like people need that break and that sense of normalcy and they need a, you know, a vacation. I think the whole country needs a vacation <laughs> yeah. or the whole world. <laughs> right. Um, so let's talk a little bit about taxes. Uh, the House has remained under a Democratic rule. So really during the election, the eyes turned to the Senate. Republicans going into the election previously held 53 to 47 majority in the upper house. So Democrats really needed to flip at least three seats. We are currently sitting with a 48-48 split with a runoff in Georgia. This is, I think, obviously very important to some of those potential tax implications. But why is this so important to Biden's tax plan? He could pass it easily if the Democrats control all three, the, the Senate, the House, and then, you know, the presidency. Uh, but again, like I said on the last show, I'm skeptical he's actually going to pass it. Like, no sitting president really wants to raise taxes. And, you know, the, the kind of the joke has been that the Democrats have become the party of the elites. So does Biden really want to raise taxes on, you know, all his rich Democrat friends? Probably not. Yeah, and I think there's probably the lot, you could tell me if I'm wrong, that has to happen. I mean, first they have to win it, and then they would have to go through and pass it. And it just seems like there's some, some time that would have to, things that have to happen for that to be the case. Yeah, absolutely. But everyone is concerned about the Biden's tax plan. If the Senate does swing to the Dems, uh, do you think Josh he'll raise taxes next year? Yeah, part of his plan says that, you know, certain individuals in this country and businesses will pay more in taxes, a part of his proposed plan. Um, but a lot of it, and looking through just the proposed plan, a lot of it has to do with high earners, over 400000 um, in income and, and corporations. Um, so there is some, you know, proposals in there that potentially are going to change or raise your taxes. Um, and I think probably we'll get into this more as that becomes more, you know, 
you know, getting closer to, to passing. But, you know, there are a lot of different provisions in there that could potentially help you too. So I, I know that we'll dig into further into it in a future podcast. One thing I liked with, that I was looking at was he actually, I mean, this is negative for high earners, but he actually is going to increase the social security wage base. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I, I read he's going to go up to 400K for uh, married filing jointly. Um, so that'll be a little extra social security tax, but that'll really fund social security, which is good. And that will make it so we stop having these discussions about, oh, social security is not going to be here in 10 years. And that, that's a concern for a lot of Americans yeah. is, is social security and the fund running out and what's going to happen. And that's, that concern is valid, right? I mean, if many retirees don't have their social security, they're not going to be able to survive. Right. Um, if you are one of those people, though, concerned about the possible tax implications, and you see this as a, a becoming more of a real possibility, what do you do now if you are in that upper income base? I would contact a financial advisor or your tax planner and you know go through your portfolio and look at what you could do from a capital gain standpoint. I know he does want to increase capital gains tax. Um, that, that's really his only net negative, I think, that he could po- pose to the stock market, because if he does that, you know, then people are going to rush to sell their stocks before then. Yeah, and I, I don't think, you know, as you get down to the end of the year, because I, I, don't, I don't know when are these runoffs again, because we're not going to know until January, right? Yeah, yeah, January 2021. Yeah, so, I mean, these runoffs aren't even going to be completed. And, you know, are you going to go sell your stocks and pay all this capital gains tax for something that you don't even know it's going to happen? Right, I think it's maintaining your same strategy. If you're not tax loss harvesting in your portfolio already looking at that, or if you do have other you know, capital gain situations, definitely review them like you would in any year. I think it's just healthy to have that you know, strategy built in at the end of every year, no matter if the taxes are going to change or not. Yeah. For so many, I think that taxing is, is so far from where we are right now. I mean, that doesn't mean it can't come true, but it, it is pretty far from, I think, where we, are, we, where we sit today. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the economy. The disposable income is down this year, 13.2%. April, unemployment neared 15%. But then since then, it's really sitting down around 7.9%. Interest rates are extremely low. In February, there were less people living in poverty than ever before. And now that number is starting to actually go back up. In your opinion, is Biden really taking over an economy in a better or worse position than when Obama had took it over during the financial crisis of 08 and 09. He, he's in a great position. He's about probably in the same position as Trump was when, he, when Trump took over the Obama economy. But, you know, like I said a, a few minutes ago, I, the economy is going to boom. And, you know, Biden's set up for success. You're already seeing recovery, you know, from this recession. And I mean, if we study economic cycles, what's after a recession? expansion. So, you know, if this year and going forward for Biden, even after this recession, we're already seeing us come out of it. I think, again, there's just a lot of opportunity for us to quickly recover and and have some really, really good growth in the economy um, over the next few years. Are there any economic factors that investors should pay close attention to as we're heading into next year? I would continue to watch housing um, and then rents as well. Rents are decreasing across all major cities. We talked about it on the last podcast. To me, those are really important economic indicators. And then, you know, the third one would be commercial real estate, especially on the individual office side. Um, like we're here in our office today. We know a lot of businesses have kind of turned in their office lease. Let's see if that starts to pick up next year or if businesses really are going to stay in that work from home environment. 
Yeah, it seems like a lot of offices are still, from what I can tell and have read, that most people either want the same amount of space or less space, but there's not a lot of demand for getting more space right now. Yeah, and what's the rush? I mean, there just isn't. And with the work at home movement, you know, I think a lot of the commercial real estate side is going to be analyzed and potentially changing over the next few years. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, and that that is such a conversation that's probably so early to tell because, I mean, who's going to be buying more space right now? I mean, that's just not where we're at. I mean, but you talk about in six or eight months from now, you start to show low infection rates and you, you probably can see that start to change potentially. Yep. Yep, absolutely. So as we kind of finish up this year's election, I mean, where do you think this puts us on track for in 2024? You know, there's a good chance that 2024, you could be heading into one of those recession years or, you know, more at the peak of the economic cycle, just, you know, based on what we know about the way the economy works. Um, So, you know, if Biden is reelected, then that means he could potentially be facing a recession or if a Republican is is reelected, I know Trump has already been tweeting out that he's going to give it a go in 24, then um, he's going to potentially be facing a recession. Yeah, and I think the same. I think that we can just follow that economic cycle. And I think that maybe that is the peak in four years, right? After we see this expansion through, you know, the recovery of this recession we're going through now. But time will tell, right? When we're just going to continue to review and assess and and have a, a good plan going forward. Yeah, I just want to say, you know, good job and congratulations to all the people that through this emotional time just really held their portfolio stance and whether they listen to this or they listen to their financial planners on not overreacting, not selling off, not doing what makes you sort of think about doing when you get that emotional and just holding the course. Because it is hard. It's hard to stay the course. It's hard to not sell and get emotional and concerned. But if you stayed the course, I mean, you're being rewarded right now. Absolutely. You make a great point. And definitely congrats to all of those investors. And, you know, they're, they're receiving that reward, like you said. So you know happy for you yeah (laughs) yeah congratulations uh let's get into my favorite part of the show rpa recommends uh who wants to go first here i'll go first mandalorian's back so i don't know if everyone on this podcast is familiar with the mandalorian um but it's a star wars spinoff on disney plus so me and my wife are watching season two that just came out two weeks ago highly recommend it um even if you aren't a big star wars fan um, just a really, really good show, uh, and uh, Disney Plus did a did a fantastic job. So really excited to to watch the rest of season two from The Mandalorian. That's pretty good. That's good. I have to check that out. Yeah, I don't I don't have much. Uh, my wife and I are in escrow on a house right now. So um, if everything closes and goes well, I'll probably have a lot of housing related recommends coming up. Um, but because of that house, we really haven't got much new. I have a new iPhone, but I I actually haven't used it yet. It hasn't arrived. So you know, it's like my Peloton is probably on some ship somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big year for you, man. A baby, a new house, a new iPhone, new Peloton. You're like a new person. Yeah. Well, you know, it's one of those transition years. It's like a marriage year. You know, you have the baby, then you got to get the house to put the baby in. Uh, your priorities change a little bit. Yeah. Well, congratulations to you. I know it's a big step. And for all the people who are making big steps, you know, this year during the pandemic, I mean, I know it's even harder right now. Uh, one thing that can go great in your new house, Matthew, is a Dyson vacuum. I feel which, like you're selling me something. Yeah, I was like, what is he selling? <laughs> uh, that was my RPA recommended Dyson vacuum. And the reason why is because it's cordless. 
I was vacuuming my house yesterday. I was, I was able, you can transition it from wood floors to carpet by just changing out the bottom part and uh, not having to plug it in every time you go into a different room is highly convenient. I know you can get them at Costco or you can order them online, but just such a time saver by being able to not have to plug it in every time if you're one of those people that doesn't like doing that. That was going to be my next question was, do they have them at Costco? So I'm glad you already took care of that I, for me. I, I didn't realize that you still plugged your vacuum in. I've had a Dyson for like five or six years. They're great. <laughs> do you have a robot vacuum yet? Yeah. Yeah, we do. Was but, the robot, but okay. Yeah. But, but I mean, Dyson works great when you want to, you know, directly vacuum exactly where you want to be in. Yeah, absolutely. Which should be a daily occurrence now that you have a child. You no, know, well, we have a Dyson and a robot. So, I mean, like I haven't used a plug vacuum. I don't think I've ever owned a plug vacuum in my life. I would just like to say I don't have either. I'm way behind. <laughs> I didn't know like this vacuum game was so big. So, I got to get on it. Well, you have a plug vacuum? I do. You're usually up on the latest tech. Yeah, I know. But the I guess the, the home cleaning tech, I'm not. I don't have a you know robot vacuum or a Dyson. In, in about a year and a half, Matt's Roomba will be like one of the his child's favorite toy in the house because <laughs> she'll just be chasing that thing around for all, half the day. <laughs> well, that'll, that'll be good entertainment. Thanks for the tip. Yeah. So uh, as we kind of round things out, you know, as advisors, we, we truly love helping people. We hope we've been able to help you during this time. I mean, as we've, you know, talked about as it was such an emotional time, but to get through it, we got through it. And, you know, selling off your portfolio didn't need to be done. You, you stayed the course, you did the right thing. But that's why we do it. And if you would like more information or you'd like to schedule an appointment, please go to rpawealth.com and schedule a complimentary phone call, complimentary consultation, uh, or just even have a chat with us. So, and you can also download our ebook on our website. So if you'd like to know more, you like the show notes, please go to retirementplanplaybook.com. But as always, we thank you for listening to Retirement Plan Playbook. Thank you. Thank you. RPA Wealth Management is a state-registered investment advisor located in Rancho Cucamonga, California. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. RPA Wealth Management may only transact business in those states and jurisdictions in which it is registered or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. A copy of RPA Wealth Management's current disclosure statement, Form ADV Part 1, containing RPA Wealth Management's business operations, services, and fees is available by accessing the SEC's Investment Advisor Public Disclosure website. RPA Wealth Management will provide Form ADV Part 2A from Brochure and 2B Brochure Supplement to interested parties upon request. Information provided on this podcast should not be construed as a solicitation or offer or recommendation to acquire or dispose of any investment or engage in any other transaction. RPA Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personal investment advice or financial planning advice through its podcast. RPA Wealth Management podcasts are intended for information and educational purposes only.